The New York Islanders. Everybody's pick to win the Metropolitan Division this year and eventually the Stanley Cup. Rory, I have a confession to make. I sunk to new sports reporting lows this past weekend. I don't think I watched one second of the All-Star Game or Skills Comp. <laughs> Usually the Skills Comp, I'm flipping around. I land on it. All right. I kind of get sucked in. I didn't really see any of it, but you were watching very closely, and it's time to have the annual bang our head against the wall conversation. What can we do about the All-Star Game? What did you learn watching that worked, didn't work? What should we be doing next time? <laughs> I don't know how you fix the game itself. There's no I mean, fixing it's, the it's game. Let's is. just move past yeah, that. Yeah, the skills competition, I thought this year was a little bit disappointing. They need to get rid of that passing premier pass or whatever the heck it's called obstacle course where you're putting in the puck in those little nets nobody can do it very well clearly with the the involvement of the women in the skills competition that needs to be added as a new aspect next season i think that's a slam dunk you know what i think i can't remember who it was but one of the players afterwards made the point about the accuracy shooting competition that part of what they remember about watching it as a kid is those uh, targets exploded. And now it's those LED lights that kind of just go out when you hit it. I, I, I agree. I would bring those things back and watch them explode. There's a little bit of uh, an excitement level in that. I also miss the puck control relay where two players were actually racing through an obstacle course against each other. Yeah, you I think need that's that, something... that head-to-head competition. Exactly. And I know you don't have the conferences going against each other for points or anything anymore but it's just like the fastest skater like actually put them up maybe have a a quick little tournament of four or eight players whatever the heck it is you can get through those things really quickly and have an obstacle course and then have a winner come out at the end of it and he's your twenty five thousand or she is your twenty five thousand dollar winner those to me are, are obvious things and if there's any world where you could have the greats come back ally afraidy try a hardest shot maybe he still uses the old wooden stick ray bork accuracy shooter jeremy roenick was really good at that award at, at that uh, skill as well any of these guys who had success in the past, if they would be willing to come back out and do it again, even if they're just out there doing what the women were doing this year for the most part and just showing what the drill was, I think would be something that more people would tune back in for just to give it a little bit of a newer look. That's it. That's all the all-star talk we're doing (laughs) for 12 more months. You know what? This is the best time of the hockey year because it's the furthest possible time from the next (laughs) All-Star game. (laughs) Well, here's some things we are going to talk about on this episode of Tape to Tape. We're going to be joined by Arthur Stable to talk about what I have to believe is the most surprising team in the league, the Metropolitan Division-leading New York Islanders. We're going to look at the trade market from the seller's perspective Maybe talk a little Columbus, man, uh, it's been an interesting and not in the good way season there in terms of all year hanging over the head of the franchise has been the fact that goalie Sergei Bobrovsky and forward Artemi Panarin, neither one is interested in signing an extension to stay in Columbus before they can become UFAs this summer, yet the team remains in the playoff mix and is probably truly a fringe 
contender. So it's been interesting times there. And let's face it, when John Tortorella is your coach, uh, there's always a potential for some interesting things happening around your team, as was the case recently at uh, one of Mr. Tortorella's scrums. Nice to have a bunch of centers. In that situation, you can go. I've got one center playing. One. The need to get those guys warm. I've got one center playing. One. Just the you can hear it in your voice, the level of frustration with these I've got one center playing. John, how do you see the challenge of Winnipeg, obviously, down the middle then with everything that you are dealing with coming into this first matchup against them tonight? Dealing with what? Meaning? Just the overall group and what you see from the Jets and how your club's playing. It's a good team. It's a good team we're playing, and uh, and it was a god-awful team that I coached the other night. So hopefully we'll answer the proper way. Who? They better. Oh, they'll get their ass kicked. So there you have it, Rory. He's got one center in case you (laughs) missed it. One center and uh, a goalie who maybe doesn't want to be there and a star uh, winger as well. So we're going to talk about Columbus and some other teams that could be selling. Um, In the vein of surprise teams, I also want to talk a little off the top about the Arizona Coyotes. Before we do that, I think we're obliged to spend a minute or two on the Jake Muzzin deal, but we've covered his mm-hmm. attributes here ad nauseum, and everyone knows what this guy will be bringing to the Leafs when he makes his debut Friday in Detroit. I think this, when you look at the parts in this deal, it really makes sense from both sides. Yeah, it does. I, this this was the big ticket that I think a lot of people hoped that the Maple Leafs, a lot of Leafs fans anyways, hoped that, that their team would pick up. I don't really think anything as large as Alex Petrangio was realistically in the cards. The, the the amount that you would have to give up is so much. That that just strikes me as an off-season trade if it's going to happen. But Muzzin is a guy, again, you have him under control for this season and next. You knew that the first rounder was going to be the starting point for that, and then it became what prospects do you add on top of it. And the fact that I don't think Toronto touched any of their top-end prospects is is why they come out big winners here. You're not talking about Rasmus Sandin or Timothy Liljegren. Um, you're talking about Carl Grunstrom and Sean Dersey. And, and at the flip side, though, uh, the Kings kind of get what they needed out of this as well. You got a first round pick to start. And, and if, whether you use that or you use that to trade, we'll find out. But the two prospects are, are good enough. Like Sean Dersey was a guy who went undrafted. He's 20 years old right now. One of the best power play quarterbacks in the OHL. Uh, a really good point producer there, and and they'll need to sign him. He doesn't have a contract yet, but again, like this is a team that doesn't have enough goal scores, enough offense going for it, and he's not going to be in the lineup this year. Probably a stretch to say he'd be in that lineup next year, but who knows how the summer goes and how next year's training camp goes. But he's kind of that, you know, five eleven kind of defenseman, puck moving guy who seems to excel in in the NHL these days, and that's kind of along the lines of what the Kings need. And the same thing with Grunstrom. He he is only six feet tall, so he's not an overly large guy, but he plays that tough game in, in the corners. He's good at coming away from those battles with the puck and creating chances. And then he's also got a pretty good shot. If you look at his goal scoring numbers, he's always been this year. Actually, he might be the first in, in two years where he finishes with more assists than he does goals. So he is a goal scorer first, but it's that grittiness that gives him at least a third line baseline as far as NHL goes. And if he can bring in a little bit of offense, and and be somewhat of a goal scorer in the NHL, 
Then he comes with second line upside. And again, for a team that likes to play heavy hockey, Grunstrom does fit in with that potentially. And then he does come with a little bit of offensive upside. So the Kings really got what they could have for Jake Muzzin. I think I don't really expect that there was anything much better than that that was going to come to them if they waited before the deadline and Toronto gets the exact defenseman that they want for two playoff runs and they don't have to break the bank to do it I mentioned the Coyotes Arizona is one of a handful of teams along with Vancouver Edmonton Anaheim St. Louis really trying to push to crack the final two wild card berths in the Western conference. It's going to be very interesting going down the stretch as the, the shuffle is on there and we'll see which teams eventually do grab those final spots, but got to give a shout out to the coyotes who really have quietly climbed back into the race. We had their GM uh, John Chica on here uh, late in 2018 you look at the injuries that that team has battled yeah. through. It's just remarkable that they've been able to to climb up here and, and stick their nose in this battle. Christian Dvorak, Jason Demare, Antti Ranta, which is a huge one. Uh, Michael Grabner, again, Nick Schmaltz, another huge one. You traded for him to be your number two center, and he goes down, and, and he's going to be up after for the looking rest of the great. season. After yeah. looking really good. And Oliver Ekman Larson, we'll see uh, how long he's out. He, he just became injured before the All-Star break. But <laughs> those are the six guys right now that are out of this lineup, and they're still playing good enough hockey. If you, if you look at uh, the best records in the NHL since January 1st over the last month, Arizona's right there in 11th place. And, and you know, you could even say with games in hand and everything like that, they might be the seventh best team in the NHL in the month of January. So it's really something. And then, too, you consider... Like, they have lost that Max Domiowski-Galchenyuk trade this year. Uh, Galchenyuk started really good. He started playing center, and he got moved back off to the wing. And he, he's our third highest scorer, but that's he's not scoring very many points for them. Um, Clayton Keller, I don't think, has gotten to the level like you're talking about him as a Calder Trophy guy, and he's not at he's not doing what he's Matt Barzell is doing. Yeah, he's not doing. a point per game exactly. guy that you thought he might be. Exactly, but what you can say about this team is their defense is again kind of uh, kind of like what the Islanders are uh, when we talk about them. Their defense has, has been really solid, which has created a good shelter for their goaltenders, so that when Antti Ranta goes down, and he was tracking to be one of the better goalies in the entire league, when he goes down, the Phillies have been pretty good in his absence too and so there's a nice little uh system that has been created there in arizona and it's just a matter of you know part of the reason that they're hanging around is because they did have a good month of january but also some of these teams dallas colorado have really sunk back down to the pack too so an opportunity has been created for them it's hard to imagine them really being at all aggressive buyers at the trade deadline. But John Chayka has been known to make these little moves. He's like that Nick Schmaltz trade was one for Dylan Strom, right? Like that was a future piece that no longer fit there. So there is some room and some history in Chayka's uh, maneuvers as GM to buy something that flies a little bit under the radar, like, like Schmaltz. So maybe he takes that approach to this year's trade deadline. Definitely not going to be going all in. I would be shocked if they did something like trading a first round pick or a, a really good prospect, something like that. But you know, you talk about him as an analytics guy and that's all about finding value where other, other teams, other people oversee that, uh, overlook that, I should say. And maybe there's something for them to do, but it's a really excellent story considering all the injuries. How many other teams would be just sunk by those six injuries for any extended period of time? And the Coyotes have just, they're, they're hanging around. They're better than Edmonton right now. 
Arizona, Vancouver, two of the big surprise teams out west. With apologies to the Montreal Canadiens, I think we can agree. The real surprise out east, the New York Islanders. We're going to dive deeper into everything that's gone on with a team that lost its franchise center in the summer. Yet here they are, number two in the Eastern Conference as we record this. Arthur Staple of The Athletic coming on to talk Islanders. That's coming up after the break on Tape to Tape. The Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate. Net sliding around on the way to pond hockey? Use the built-in load stop to help keep them in place. Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags? The tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali. We are professional grade. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Joining us on the line now, he covers the New York Islanders for The Athletic. It's Arthur Staple. Arthur, how are you? I'm good, fellas. How are you doing? We're doing all right, and we are still, like most people, absolutely shocked to see the New York Islanders first in the Metro, second in the Eastern Conference as they come out of their all-star break slash team holiday, we'll call it here. All right, Arthur, I'm sure you are also surprised at where the Islanders are. Where did you expect them to land at this point in the season? What kind of season did you think this was going to be for the Isles? I was like everybody else. I thought it was going to be a struggle. You know, um, it didn't change a whole lot. I mean, it, it, still, it sounds silly to say that when uh, your best player walks out the door. But other than other than Tavares leaving uh, and the few, you know, kind of depth additions that they made, it was really the same core group of guys that had been here the last couple of years. And I was, you know, I think I was curious, like everybody else, to see what they could do without Tavares, uh, not just in, on the ice, but in terms of the leadership part of it. Uh, I'm curious to see what Barry Trotz could do with this group. I thought maybe best case scenario, they'd be kind of right around where Carolina is, a few points out of the playoffs, uh, maybe winning a few more than they'd lost, but uh, but not terribly consistent enough to be able to compete. And uh, boy, was I wrong, but I guess I've got good company there. <laughs> Everybody else is right with her with you. I think the biggest improvement that is the easiest thing to point at is the defense, the the worst in the league last year, just leaked shots left, right, and center. And this year, they're a, a top 10. I still think they are under Barry Trotz. We've talked a lot about that on this show and, and you know, all around the hockey world. That that improvement is so obvious. But what what specifically is the difference in the way this team plays defense that they're allowing so many fewer shots than they were last year? I think a lot of it has to do with the area, you know, the slot, the area in front of the net. Talk to the guys who have played them already this year, played them a couple of times, and that's the thing that they notice the most is that it's very difficult to get to the front of the net on these guys. And it's not necessarily five guys packing it in and trying to play goalie in front of their actual goalie. It's just, it's just a, you know, they they really accentuated uh, the physical part of it in the defensive zone, not throwing big hits, but just getting a body on somebody, getting in the right position. And like you said, it's it's uh, 
pretty much the same defense in terms of the guys on the blue line. I think the effort is really there from the forwards too, which is something that was missing a lot last year in terms of the D zone. There was a lot of a lot of guys flying the zone, trying to get on the, the offense train because they started last season so well offensively. Uh, this year, there's there's a lot more responsibility, and I think those those kind of fringe veteran guys that they brought in, guys like Leo Komarov and Val Filippo, who maybe seemed a little bit over the hill uh, on their previous teams, uh, that's where they've come in and really helped a lot. I think it's just the you know Filippo is certainly a, a true pro and, and a guy that people like to emulate, uh, and he's a very responsible guy, and I think he kind of helped set the tone for some of the younger guys and some of the guys that have been here a long time who maybe hadn't seen anybody put that into practice quite so well. So um, I just think their attention to detail in their own zone, you know, the, the way that they've maintained their structure up and down the ice through all three zones, force a lot of turnovers. They're getting a lot of quality scoring chances off of those kinds of plays uh, that they're converting because they're, you know, they're certainly not putting a ton of shots and chances on net. So, you know, it's the old defense leads to good offense, and they really embraced it, and, and they've gotten it from a lot of different places. One of the things that Lamorello and Trotz talked about when they first got there was changing the culture and adding more responsibility. And do you think that is actually taking hold? I mean, obviously, the improvement in the defense you talked about, the responsibility from the forwards would seem to indicate that that is very much changing. But do you also notice a difference in the room and not just because the team is winning, but is there a different feeling around this team that you would, you would point at and say, this is the difference that Lamorello and specifically trots are are having on this team. I think the thing a lot of guys talk about is everybody is treated the same. And, and you know, you hear that on a lot of teams and you know, it's not true that, that there's certainly star players get a little bit more deferential treatment from the front office, especially if you look back last year, you know, when you had Tavares kind of going into that contract decision in the summer, you had the feeling that he was not necessarily getting treated the exact same as everybody else because he had a, had a direct uh, connection to ownership. So that's a little bit different. But I think um, I think that it comes from that, and, and that really comes from Lou. And then I think with, with Barry, where Barry comes in and, uh, you know, giving everybody a role. You know, you see guys like Matt Martin getting an opportunity to, to kill penalties or that that fourth line that's uh, you know that's been reunited since martin was traded back here not just going out and banging people but playing against other teams top lines i think i think that forcing that kind of investment from your depth guys as a coaching staff uh, you do that stuff right away and i think it gets a buy-in from your more emotional core leaders guys like martin and cases as and cal clutterbuck and um you know it's it's a very egalitarian system and you know you see a kid like matthew Barzell who's got all the skill in the world and put it on display on the all-star weekend when he starts to buy in too and understands that uh, the gaudy personal stats aren't going to get you many wins. Um, you know, that, that I think is, is something that's hugely important for these guys. And part of why they are where they are is that uh, nobody's doing any freelancing. Nobody's jeopardizing the team system. And, and Matthew and I have talked about it on a couple of occasions and he's really, his eyes have really been opened as a young guy that, uh, that this is the right way. And I think Barry is, uh, from day one, managed to capture all of their attentions and uh, and really turn them in the right direction. So that's been a huge help. How much do you think it helps that a new GM and coach did come in the year after the franchise player and Tavares walked out the door? Because it does kind of offer a nice clean break from the past, a little easier to turn the page. You know, clearly it helps so much that the team is outstripping expectations. But do you think it was a little easier to set a different tone around the organization or, as I said, you know, sort of turn the page because you had these two new uh, voices and strong personalities at the top of the structure? 
I think so. I think so. And 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 certainly um, with these particular two men with their their histories in the league and their you know recent history for as far as Trotz is concerned, very recent history, they command attention. You know, uh, it's not a knock on Garth Snow. It's not a knock on, on Jack Capuano and Doug Waite. Those guys had good moments uh, in their times here, but. Garth, obviously, the way that he became GM, I think, doesn't command the same respect as a guy like Lou Lamarillo. It's just different uh, inside the room and outside the room. Uh, and the same with the coach. They've never they've never brought in a coach with this kind of pedigree. So, you know, those making those kinds of changes, you show that the, the players that have been here for a long time or maybe players that are thinking about coming here, um, that, these, that, that they're serious about, about changing that culture and making sure that they, like you said, they, they've kind of made a clean break. I'm sure they'd prefer to have made that turnaround with John Tavares on the roster, but given that he left, I think it was, uh, like you said, it, it probably was a little easier to turn the page and convince the guys that were here that they can turn the page. Trade deadline is starting to come into focus a little bit more here, and I think most teams that are in the position the Islanders are in atop their division would feel pretty comfortable about being all-in buyers are pretty close to that, but the Islanders being such a surprise team, I, I think you know they still got to have that eye towards a couple years down the line um, before this team really hits its full potential. First of all, what would they be looking to improve on this roster if they do go out and buy? And at the same time, how aggressive do you see them being? Like, is the first-round pick on the table, or would something like that be completely off of it? You know, I could see the first rounder being on the table, mostly because the trade that they, that Garth Snow made with the Flames two years ago, uh, an extra first and extra second last year for Travis Hamnick, and that those that first ended up being another lottery pick. So they they had two, they picked at eleven and twelve in a pretty deep draft last year, and basically picked two guys and Oliver Wallstrom and Noah Dobson, who are one two essentially in their depth chart now in terms of prospects. So I think you can count that as well. That's two drafts worth of guys that we got. So. Um, you know, I'm sure that Lou uh, has always been very aggressive, and uh, if the team can continue on this path, and you're looking at a pick in the in the low 20s, um, that's probably something worth moving if you can find somebody, especially somebody with a with a little bit more term left on their deal. Um, there's certainly some enticing names out there, especially among the forwards, and that's probably where they need the most uh, help, if you could say. I mean, they've they've been riding good chemistry and, and a lot of lucky shooting percentages for some guys who don't normally score quite as much. So, um, you know, if you look around and see some of the, the wingers that are available, especially on the right side where they're a little thin, uh, maybe another center for the, you know, to a versatile guy uh, in the bottom six to, to help out, you know, they've, they've got, they've really gotten by with, uh, been very fortunate too with, uh, with being pretty healthy this year. So, um, you know, you, you can never really count on that as you go deep into the season and into the playoffs. So I'm sure that there's areas they can they can improve. And if they really want to make a big splash, there's uh, there's plenty of areas to, to go for it on that front as well. So it's definitely uh, going to be an interesting few weeks. I don't want to look too far down the line with transactions here. And I don't want to go down, uh, revisit a dark territory for Islanders fans. But once again, there really are some key UFA UFAs that is, scheduled to hit the market this summer and we have to start with Leonard. I mean, he's been so strong along with, with Grice this year for the team. Give me a sense. If you can, Arthur, what you think they might be able to work out with Leonard, the likelihood he stays and then maybe touch on some of the other guys, uh, including Eberle, uh, Anders Lee and Brock Nelson, just, you know, as much as you can give us a little insight into what the future might hold long-term for those guys with the Islanders. 
Well, I mean, Leonard has just been such a, an amazing story from the actual story of his, of his, you know, his last few years that he wrote for us uh, before the season began about, uh, you know, going to, you know, the depths with mental illness and substance abuse during his last few months in Buffalo and trying to find a job and, and basically getting a, you know, a proven contract for one year from the Islanders. And he certainly rewarded that, uh, that gesture by Lou, by, you know, not just uh, being a, a comeback player of the year candidate, but being a, a resonance candidate with the way that he's played. So you would think that there's, there's an opportunity to, to make a deal there. That's not uh, a crazy long one or a crazy expensive one. You, you think about Sergei Bobrovsky uh, being kind of a big prize that'll be out there on July one. And uh, you would think that Leonard would, would probably cost half of that and, half the term, which is always a good thing to have with goalies. You don't want to commit too long and uh, that frees them up to do a lot of other things. So, um, you know, and as far as the forwards go, you know, if I had to pick two of those three guys that are, that are coming unrestricted at the end of the year, I would probably say Lee and Nelson look more like guys that they're going to sign. I mean, they, they did give Lee the captaincy uh, on the, on the eve of the opener. Um, that seems to be the sort of gesture you, you make when you want to keep a guy, especially in light of what happened with the last captain. And Brock Nelson's really had a, a rejuvenated year playing alongside uh, Lee and Eberle as, as, you know, essentially their top line in terms of minutes. Uh, you know, he's a guy who kind of disappeared a lot uh, for long stretches the last few years and was considered more of a one-dimensional guy. And, and I think with under trots, he's, he's turned into a pretty decent two-way guy. And, uh, you know, the, the scoring isn't, isn't going to knock anybody's socks off. But, uh, but he's been very reliable. And I think if there's a reasonable contract to be had there, too, it's uh, – that would be worth it. But uh, I think Everly might be the guy who uh, gets, uh, gets let go. Um, you know, I think if they were in a different position, he might be on the trading block uh, before we get to the deadline. But I, I would imagine that uh, this is more a situation where, um, you know, unless they can get a really reasonable deal, he'd be the one that reaches free agency. Well, happily for Islanders fans, there's a very good chance they don't have to worry about that until after at least one round of playoff hockey, the way things are looking right now. Uh, what a surprise. Once again, the New York Islanders just uh, knocking people's socks off. All right, Arthur, thanks so much for joining us today and giving us uh, some insight into uh, the Long Islanders. You got it, guys. Anytime. Thanks a lot. That is Arthur Staple of The Athletic. So, Rory, my question when it comes to this team and the trade deadline is Elliot Friedman had a note in his weekly 31 thoughts column about how Lou Lamorello always kind of says you don't go out and acquire unless you think you can win it. Mm -hmm. But for a team like the Islanders, given the immediate past and Tavares leaving and the fact that this team has really only a couple playoff appearances in the past, you know, decades, would making the final four not feel like winning the cup for this franchise? I mean, isn't it yeah. more a question of if we think we can get someone to help us win even a couple rounds, that's going to be so meaningful for this fan base that has been through so much. Yeah. And, and they've moved back into the Coliseum too, right? Which is going to going back to those glory years and the good old days a little bit, getting, getting a taste of it anyway. Um, but I, I think absolutely. If they are if they are able to make win two rounds, then you get to the conference final, and it's 
you get the right bounce and you could go on. It's a little bit of luck, a little bit of injury luck, a little bit of special teams luck, post luck, all this, all this stuff. I mean, you're really just trying to get that far. I think every team is trying to get that far in the playoffs and then you're See facing the best teams anyway. Yeah. So yeah, you're going to need some things to go your way to get to the cup final and eventually win it. The Islanders, I mean, I mean, I'm not trading that, that pick. I'm definitely not trading the two guys I just drafted in that first no. round or anything like that, right? But like you're making little additions, but. But as Staples said, that does kind of free up to move this year's exactly, first. Exactly, exactly. And if you are able to do it, I'm, I'm still, I'm not doing it for a rental, I don't no, think. I'm trying to get a guy not. who's got another two or three years of control. And that, that's generally what you should be looking for, giving up any team, really, giving up that first-round pick. It's just, it's shocking that they're actually buyers. I, I think the only thing is that if you look at Pittsburgh and Washington, the teams below them, they have... I think a lot more motivation to be more aggressive on the trade deadline, which might knock the Islanders out a little bit of it. But at the same time, as Arthur said, there's, there's so many names that are out there on the rumor mill that it, it almost doesn't matter if Tampa Bay acquires and Pittsburgh and Washington and San Jose and Winnipeg, all these teams are picking up. There still might be some very valuable players forwards. Definitely that can help the Islanders down the stretch. So it, it's, it's an amazing story that we're even talking about these guys as, as buyers that they're at top at the top of their division. I think if they win one round, that's a oh pretty huge win. If well, they just, the playoff, making the playoffs win. is <laughs> yeah. enormous. Yeah. So it, it's just an incredible story. And if the defense can hold up and, and they can get a little bit of scoring help to, you know, go beyond that, that first line, help Barzal a little bit out, maybe down the middle. Um, I think there might be some more surprises in store. I wouldn't pick them. It's really hard to pick this team to do anything, but there, there's reasons to like them beyond just the big names. It's it's the systems and the goaltending that I think has caught everybody by surprise. All right. So the Islanders might be buyers when it comes to the trade deadline. When we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about some of the teams that might be looking to sell off. It's said to be a buyer's market, but... You know what that means? That's because there's uh, a bunch of teams who think, let's get what we can for some of these guys because this ain't going to be our year. We're going to check in with the market from the seller's perspective on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. All right, we are back. February is upon us in the hockey world. That means the trade deadline is rapidly approaching. February 25th is the deadline this year. With that in mind, we're going to do a segment the rest of the way leading up to the deadline that's uh, just a a little trip 
down to the market. Come with us, friends, for a little trip down to your local market here. Sugar dates, sugar dates and figs, sugar dates and pistachios. Would the lady like a necklace? A pretty necklace for a pretty lady. Fresh fish, we catch them, you buy them. Two of the more intriguing potentially selling teams, and I say potentially, are, as we mentioned off the hop, Columbus and and also St. Louis. Let's deal with Columbus first. The only reason we're talking about this is, of course, because Bobrovsky and Panarin appear to be headed toward a future where they sign contracts with other teams. Mm -hmm. You and I and a lot of people all along have been saying, if you're Columbus, Columbus is kind of the last team we could see winning the Stanley Cup. If you did your hierarchy of who could actually win it, Columbus might be what the second last or last team on there, but But they're on there. But we've been thinking that, you know, Bobrovsky could be a big part of that. He hasn't been fantastic. Would you think really, really hard? Would you be open to saying, you know what? The hell with it. We will sell one or both of these players for a haul. And again, that's probably not going to be, I mean, maybe it'll be for picks, but it'll be for picks plus guys who can help either now or really soon. Yeah. The the tough thing is because they're rentals. I I mean, I know Panarin is going to help somebody immensely if he gets traded, but there's zero guarantee he's around anymore. So still his value is hurt quite considerably by that. You have to think if Columbus does trade these guys that, it's not just going to be for futures, or if it is just for futures, they have something in mind that they'll quickly turn those around to get NHL players back. And again, those would have to be guys for term, or else you're just in the same situation again. But I think one way that you can look at it is, and maybe this is how we should be looking at it, is rather than Columbus going into the trade market and looking at it to pick up rentals, they can look at Artemi Panarin and Sergei Borowski as their rentals. Say, we're not giving up any assets, and in fact, what we'll do is we're going to give up our first-round pick or a prospect or whatever it is to get into this market to acquire somebody who's got another year on his contract to make ourselves better and double down on what we have right now and say, you know you know what? Even if these guys aren't going to come back next year, this is the best team we've ever put on the ice. We've never won a playoff round yet. you got to show the fans something. You get this close. And even after last year, you go up 2 nothing on Washington – and then you lose the next four games in a row. It looked like last year was going to be the team that finally broke through here. But now I think the way that they have to look at it is they're just going to say, you know what, we're going for it. And if you make a trade and you get another guy or two back who is under contract, so at least you go into next season with them to move forward with. I just look at this team and the situation that they're in in their history and say, man, like who knows how long it is going to be again before the Columbus Blue Jackets have a player on the level of Panarin or a goalie on the level of Bobrovsky. When are they going to be this good again? It might be a long time. I I am sticking with what I said at the start of the season, saying I'm not only going for it with these two guys, I'm buying pretty aggressively at the trade deadline and trying to really go hard. I just wonder about what that dynamic is in the dressing room. If your two best players have no interest being there, you know, does that... Does that hurt your outlook for the cohesiveness of that team? And does that really, should we consider that when we're thinking about these guys as a Stanley Cup contender? Does that lower their expectations a little bit? And at the same time, looking at the standings today on Thursday, they're just three points ahead of Buffalo for that second wildcard spot. So, you know, there's no guarantee they even get that far. I'm just, I just look at it and I say, man, like, this is pretty easily the best team the Columbus Blue Jackets have ever had. It would be a tough message to send to the fans 
if you then sell off and don't replace them with anything remotely close to what you've given up in Panarin and Bobrovsky. St. Louis is not in the playoffs, but the Blues are sniffing around after a dreadful start. This was a team that was loading up in the summer. Now for the third straight February, we could be looking at a St. Louis team that's kind of sort of in the mix or yeah. really in the mix selling off two years ago with Shattenkirk last year. You mentioned Stastny. Now, again, do you expect St. Louis, the team that went out and traded for Ryan O'Reilly in the summer, do you expect St. Louis to be selling off? So definitely I would expect them to sell off their pending UFAs. And th- and that is notably Patrick Maroon is somebody who wants some level of depth scoring and, and a little bit of Don't uh, you just train him back to Edmonton? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, put him back on Connor McDavid's line. That's not going to cost them very much to acquire. Fine. And Jay Bomeister too. I don't know what you're going to get back for him. He's he's a shell of his former self. But I, I'm sure there's some team that wants defensive depth that would use him for the rest of this season. After that... That's where it changes a little bit. When we've talked about Armstrong being a sell at the last two deadlines, those were rentals. If you get into the realm of trading Alex Petrangelo, who's got another year left on his contract, that's the Jake Muzzin return plus quite a considerable few additions, I think, on top of that. He's a he's a number one defenseman on his own in this league. He had a tough start to the season, but I don't care. If I'm selling him, I'm getting top dollar for him. I think... The rumors, too, around Vladimir Tarasenko have quieted a little bit because he's now playing better, but isn't that when you would trade him? <laughs> You're, you, you don't want to sell him low. Yeah. If it was ever in the cards to consider trading this guy, I would think the time to do it would be when he starts to heat up again, and, and that is starting to happen. If he comes out of the All-Star break and continues that, then maybe he does get traded. And, I, like, I just... Those are off-season trades to me. Maybe Petrangelo is one because you're trading him before he gets to that last year of the contract so the value is more than it would be if you traded him this summer or next season but that's such a hard decision to make when you are very much still in this playoff picture but at the same time if those are two guys that you get such a haul back for that you are really changing the makeup of this team you already started to do that last summer with the o'reilly trade with the bozak pickup you know, does Braden Shen, a guy who's got one more year left on his contract after this, and a centerman, teams are always looking for centermen. Maybe you could get a pretty good haul for him at this trade deadline, and that's not going to hurt you so much as, as losing Tarasenko or Petrangelo midseason would. But there are a ton of intriguing options on this Blues team. And since they've already pretty aggressively tried to change some of the look, you have to wonder if Armstrong does go into that and become a, an all-in seller to a degree. Just to wrap up here, I think we can safely say these days, certainly more than ever, no bad team or at least team that is playing poorly near the bottom of the standings this year, no team is really thinking three, four years out anymore. Oh, we're not going to be good for the best part of right. a half decade, so let's move everyone out. It really seems as though, as you mentioned, we know the young players are coming in faster than ever. Everyone thinks they can kind of turn it around pretty quickly, especially in a year where Jack Hughes is the tasty treat at the top of the lottery. So there's just way, way, way more teams that are saying, yeah, we'll flip you some. We'll sell off some of our pending UFAs, but we're not necessarily looking to raise it to the ground because... We think, you know, you look at a team like Philly that all of a sudden is saying, hey, Carter Hart, 
Maybe the goalie yep. we've been waiting for two decades is here. How much better would we be just with a full season of that? Certainly a team like Florida is looking at their roster and saying, God, let's just run this back and hope for better yep. luck. There are, are way fewer teams who are saying this is going to be a long-term project. So let's move out all the bodies. It's, it's nibbling around the edges more and picking up an extra draft pick or two and hoping those guys play in your team sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, Colorado last year was the team that came back out of nowhere. Vancouver's hanging around the playoffs this year. So you can look at that and say, well, we can arrive back in this playoff picture quicker than we otherwise think. I wonder if this is a one-off year kind of thing because if Ottawa still had their first-round pick, I think they're all in sellers, right? But because they don't, they can't really do that. Maybe you have to trade Duchesne if he's not going to sign a contract. Sounds like Mark Stone wants to stay, but again, those are those are rentals that you're trading only if they're they're not going to be around for sure. But you're not going any deeper than that, I don't think. And I don't really know what else they would have to trade beyond those guys. Brian Dzingel is another guy. Even CC gets mentioned, and CC is a guy I ooh, I think that would be a mistake if a team really paid much to get him. I, he's overpaid, and I don't know if he's even a second pair defenseman, but. Yeah, to go to go into the realm of guys who are under contract a little bit longer and really be hard sellers, Ottawa would be more committed to that if they had their first round pick. But like again, you look at Detroit. Detroit's going to tra- trade their pending UFAs. Thomas Vanek, Gustav Nyquist would be a nice pickup for some contending team. But beyond that, like, do they consider maybe trading Andreas Athanasiu? After that, like, you're not trading Dylan Larkin. All these other guys are pretty much with that team um you go down to the western conference everybody's still in this playoff race except for chicago and la um and they're really they're not in a position yet where they're ruling out bouncing back next season but if they don't bounce back next season and they're still at the bottom and well out of the playoff race by this time in 2020 did they now enter the conversation as as all in sellers i think it's just an interesting i wonder if it's just an interesting transition phase here where you have those teams that have contended and won cups that are falling off but not quite ready to accept it yet and teams like vancouver's that are now entering that level where they're not all in sellers because they're getting close to that contending for a playoff spot is it a transition or is it the start of a new way of dealing around the trade deadline i don't think we're going to really know the answer to that until next year but definitely it's different this year in that there isn't really anybody that is saying whatever you want, come and give us your futures for it. Yeah, absolutely. We will be making weekly trips to the market leading up to the trade deadline to see what is happening. And of course, things can change very quickly. Who knows if Muzzin will be the first domino that triggers uh, a whole bunch of action. We shall see always a fun month around the NHL leading up to the trade deadline. That is all we have for you on this episode of Tape to Tape. You can always check us out on sportsnet.ca. Find us and subscribe in iTunes. Check out Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan. Myself, at Dixon on Sports. And come back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.